You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Good morning. Welcome to Thrive. So we started two weeks ago this series called The Blessed Life, and we're looking at these nine sayings of Jesus in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And I said the first week that these words are actually offensive and counterintuitive and revolutionary. And you might go like, wait a minute, I have them on a plaque on the wall. Yeah, well, you've got a very subversive thing on your wall because they basically uh, say something totally different than what the world says is the blessed life and how the world sees the way to a blessed life. So you're going to find out some interesting things in that. Now, um, I find them offensive to the way I would want my life to look blessed. I don't know about you, but blessed are the poor in spirit is not the first thing I think of in the morning as a blessed life, right? But I also said last week that when you look at the crowd that was gathering around Jesus from Matthew chapter 4, the people who were sick and from, from all sorts of places and backgrounds, from the, this place called the Decapolis, 10 cities that were a mix of Gentiles and Jewish people, from Syria, it says they were coming, from Jerusalem, from Judea, and they were, they, they were dealing with you know, demonic possession, and they were dealing with being harassed by all sorts of things, and they were impoverished, and they were broken people, and they were coming and gathering, and these were his disciples, that the words of this blessed are, the poor in spirit, blessed are those who, uh, those who are meek, would actually be words of comfort, and would like, wait a minute, somebody's paying attention to us, because they were the people who were being dismissed by society, They still are. Are they not? Yeah. I also shared in the last two weeks that these nine Beatitudes are not nine different classes of people. Okay. Uh, How many of you have seen The Life of Brian by Monty Python? Okay, just I don't feel bad. I mean, I, I saw it in the theaters and I think it was in high school, and I uh that's how old it is, okay? Yeah, the Cenozoic period. But um, we did have movie theaters at that time. And, um, and I, it was a little sacrilegious, I'll, t- I'll tell you that. But um, he has the blessed are the peacemakers, or they think they, he's saying cheesemakers. Did you? And then it's like, why is he picking on the work? You know, and they, they basically treat each of these as like a different class of people. They are not. They're basically nine different facets of the same people. And actually, in the end, there are nine different facets of Jesus himself. And anyone who follows him, like teacher, like student. So he's the one who actually is the meek, the humble one, the peacemaker, the poor, the pure in heart, and the persecuted. And he's saying, this is the blessed life, follow me. You'll be blessed as you follow me and as you take after me. So these are simple and profound words. They're offensive to me because it's not the way I want to live. And yet, when I see them as counterintuitive, I start understanding this is really what life's all about. And it's a good thing. 
Yes. As Todd Lindbergh says it this way in a piece he wrote, he said, the Beatitudes provide a dizzying commentary designed to turn upside down the political and social world of the Roman Empire of Caesar Augustus and of the Jewish religious elite of Judea and Jerusalem. This is the opening move of a more drastic and fundamental reassessment of political and social affairs, applying not only to its own time, but to all future times to our day. And so today we're going to explore that one facet in what I think is the fourth, the fourth of these nine, and that is this phrase, this uh, beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Okay? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, we're going to explore these three points. Um, we're going to take them one at a time, though. The first is the vital need for righteousness. Then we're going to go to the fullness of understanding what righteousness is and then the way of righteousness. But it's basically the first point is the vital need for righteousness. So Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When's the last time you've been really hungry? Really, really thirsty. I mean, really. Any of you? Do you have a time in your life where it's like, I was truly dying of thirst? Yes? When was that, Helen? In Haiti. In Haiti. Yeah. I can see it, because there's not necessarily wells present or potable water around, and it was probably 105 degrees? Yeah, we got separated from our via, the vehicle that had the water in it, and we had been out for quite some time, you know, in so you can almost get heat stroke at a time like that, and it can be very dangerous. Anyone else have a situation where you were so hungry or thirsty that you were just about like you couldn't take it? Yes, Brooke. In Haiti, too? No. <laughs> you passed out because you were so dehydrated. Yeah. Water is vital to life right? And hunger. Um, I've never had a time where I had food insecurity myself, okay? I mean, there's never, if I'm hungry, it's because there's stuff in the house and I'm just trying not to eat it. <laughs> and let me tell you, it's been hard during COVID-19 not to just keep eating and eating and eating, right? And I think it was Marsha Mika, and Marsha's watching online, I think, right now. She said, you're going to be one of three things when you get out of COVID-19. You're going to be either a chunk, a hunk, or a drunk, okay? <laughs> so either you're going to exercise like crazy and get into great shape during this. Any of you doing that? Okay, or you're going to be a drunk or a chunk because you just can't stop eating. I get it. I get it. Now, the people of Jesus' day would understand hunger and thirst. It was a daily, do we have enough to eat? They would have had not just food insecurity for a moment, but for months and months and months of their lives. And water was not a thing that you could take for granted because you had to travel to the well. Like there are parts of Haiti and there are parts of Africa and there are parts of different countries where they still have to walk miles to get to water and to spend half their day just getting the water and the food that they need to sustain their life for that day. And it is in that context when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
They understand this physical, physiological metaphor for the spiritual, true need of life much more than I think we would. Much more than I do. Because, you know, I might get a little hangry once in a while. Just give me a Snickers, I'm over it, right? But for them, they understood it was a lifelong pursuit for just water and food, enough food to live. So the vital need, he's uh, saying that very clearly in this. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, he'll talk about, don't worry about all these things like food and clothing. What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? Then he says the one thing needful, the one thing is this, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first. And that word first there is not like number one, I'll seek the number two, and you have this to-do list. Do you have to-do lists this week already? Some of you students probably have a list of all the things that you have to do, right? Wait till Canvas opens up. Oh, let me tell you, that's the um, learning platform that is used at FGCU. I've got about 10 things that are due in the first week for my contemporary world religions class. They're all little things, you know, but um, all of a sudden you get it. This is not first, okay, the first thing you got to do, and then you go to number two. The word first here means primarily, solely, completely the only. Seek always only this thing, righteousness, the right, kingdom of God and his righteousness, which they go together. God's reign, how he works in this world, is a righteousness way of working. We'll talk about what this word means. And then everything else. The things that you thought were so vital to life, food, water, clothing, they'll come. But this is the thing that's needed. So Gerhard von Rad, I know, what a name, right? Von Rad, you know. He wrote in the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament under dikaiosune, which is the Greek word called righteousness. And then the Hebrew word, Tzedekah, which we'll get to in a moment, which is the Hebrew word for righteousness. He wrote probably the 50, 60 page article. And I know Danielle, and you guys remember these articles in, right, in the New Testament class. We t they took a New Testament class where you had to look up the word and then look it up in the dictionary. And there were like 50 pages of how it was used in the Bible times and stuff. And he says at the end of this whole thing on righteousness, he says that it's basically, and I don't have a slide for this. So don't worry about that, okay? Um, uh, he basically says, it can be described without more ado as the highest value in life, that upon which all life rests when it's properly ordered. It's the most important thing, and it's everything connects to it. That's how vital it is, but right now you're going like, what is it? <laughs> We've talked about it, it's important, it's like hungering, thirsting, and going after this thing, and if you don't have it, you don't have life. So what is it? And that's our second point, the fullness of understanding this word. It's multifaceted in the Bible. It's a bit complicated. We're gonna try to simplify it. I'm not always good at that, but we'll try to simplify it, okay? One of the passages that probably helps us understand a little more about what uh, Jesus is after and what he's saying in this is from Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. And this is what the prophet says. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. It's not about smarts. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. It's not about power. 
Let not the rich man boast in his riches. It's not about money. Those are the three things our society basically says are the most important. Do you realize that? Money, smarts, power. Boom, that's it. But let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who, listen to these words, practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. This is what's most important. It's not money, wealth. It's not money. It's not power. And it's not smarts. It's loving kindness, justice, and righteousness. To know God is to know that that's how he is and who he is at his heart. He is a God of steadfast love, of justice and righteousness on the earth. And those who delight in him will see it also in their lives as well. Now, these are the three words, and I know you, you love this, don't you? You love learning a little Hebrew, just enough to not understand it, but enough, right? So these are the three words. Steadfast love is hesed. And justice is mishpat, and righteousness is zedekah. And they all fit together in unique ways. You see, the whole main story of the Bible, from Genesis chapter 12, where God calls this one guy named Abraham for no apparent reason at all. If you read the story of the Bible, it is so fascinating, because why Abraham, of all the people on the earth? I have no idea. But God calls Abraham in Genesis 12 and says, you come after me and leave your family behind and I will bless you and I will make you into a great nation and through you and through your seed, I will bless all nations. And you go like, why Abraham? And you look at his life and throughout his life, Abraham kind of messes up. Let me tell you, you see story after story and God is still his God and he has promised to be with him and he's picked him out and you're going like, why? Because honestly, if you look in Genesis and this says it in Joshua 24, actually Joshua himself says Abraham, his father and his whole family, they were idolaters. They worshiped other gods. Everybody did at the time. So why did God choose Abraham? I don't know. It's called it's actually called steadfast love. Chesed, you know, God just loved him. And actually, because of him, he loved us all. Okay, we'll get to that. He chose one in order to choose us all, to choose you. So he does that, right? And then if you look at Abraham's life, he kind of messes up. He says to uh, uh, Pharaoh, take my wife, please. You know, uh, you can look at it. Seriously, he said, you can have her because she was scared of Pharaoh. He does that with Abimelech. He does it time and again. He kind of messes up, but God is faithful to him. God continues to be righteous, and God continues to show justice to him, even though Abraham doesn't. And then his son, Isaac, He's kind of a ne'er-do-well. He doesn't raise his two boys too well, put it that way. They, you want to talk about sibling rivalry. I know you got your brother here this morning, but uh, this is not sibling rivalry compared to Jacob and Esau. Esau wants to kill Jacob because Jacob steals his birthright, right? And then Jacob himself, whom gets his name changed to Israel, where the whole identity of this nation is based on the character of Jacob. And Jacob knows he is a trickster, a heel grabber is what his name means, a trickster, a cheat. That's what he does. He does a great job of cheating people throughout his life until finally God gets him where he wants him. Okay. 
But God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He remains in steadfast love, in righteousness and justice to them. And then the main big story in the Bible, and I know this is a long explanation for what righteousness is, but it's important because you have to understand how it then impacts us and how we live. The main story is the Exodus, right? Where God basically takes this people who's nothing at all. They are slaves in Egypt. They don't even have a name for themselves, and they don't even know who their God is. They have to say, wait a minute, Moses, who is this? That you know?" They have to come up with the name. They don't even know who he is. He takes this nobody of a people, and he rescues them. He does justice for them because they have been enslaved. They have been dehumanized. They have been treated poorly. They have been marginalized. They are a nobody of a people. They have been infanticide is done against their own children in the name of, you know, society. And God rescues them. He is righteous toward them. The word righteousness really means you do right by somebody. And God does right by the children of Israel by being just for them and bringing about justice and rescue for them and showing his loving kindness and taking them out of Egypt and bringing them to himself. This is why Psalm 98 celebrates this. And you can read it, uh, the whole psalm, but we'll just read a couple of verses. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations, like Egypt. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. So Israel becomes a model of how God is in this world. One who shows loving kindness, who is righteous, and who brings about justice. And then he calls them to do the same. How do they do? Not so much. Not so much. If you look at hundreds of occurrences, the word justice or mishpat in the Bible, what you'll find is almost all the time, it's in relation to God saying to Israel, you've got to show justice to the Widow, the orphan, the foreigner in your midst, all the marginalized in your society. And why? Because that's who you were. That's who you were. You were that. And I rescued you. Now start acting that way towards those who are marginalized, who have no power, who have no voice, who are treated by society at large because they don't have money, they don't have power, and they don't have smarts. You know, let's put it... They're treated like trash. You don't treat them that way. Because I didn't treat you that way. Isn't that great? Now you might say, well, but why the poor? Why so much emphasis on the poor and the weak and the outcasts? Nicholas Walterstorff put it this way. Lower classes are not only disproportionately vulnerable to injustice, but are disproportionately actual victims of injustice. In human history, injustice is not equally distributed. I haven't faced much injustice in my life. Honestly, right? But I know a lot of people who do, and they tend to be poorer. They tend to be non-whites in our society. They tend to be in all sorts of circumstances, but I am not in. So when we call out for justice, we're calling out to try to restore and to lift up the people who are left below. It's in the Bible, justice isn't about meeting out what's right and wrong and boom, pushing it. 
It's about restorative justice. It's about bringing about justice to lift up, to encourage, and to bring them into. It's basically identifying people who are marginalized and vulnerable and making sure that there's a system in place and a network in place to give them a leg up. Righteousness and justice are tied together in the Bible. You can't have one without the other. And I'll tell you this, this is the thing that's, it's hard to kind of get a grasp on righteousness because it's not a thing that you can have in yourself. It's not like, oh, I'm righteous because I got the right answer on a test. That's not righteousness, okay? Righteousness, Gerhard von Rod again, and this one I've got on uh, a slide, says it's out and out a term denoting a relationship. So God is righteous with Israel because he treats them rightly according to his loving kindness. He does the right thing for them. He brings them into a full and righteous relationship with himself. He brings about what they can't do. And he shows his steadfast love and justice to them. So, you know, one of our first taglines for Thrive, our first tagline for Thrive was where relationships are everything. And I think that's what this is about. It's having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other people, most important of all. And basically, don't talk about your right relationship with God if you, don't, if you have wrong relationships with people around you. Again and again, you can find it in 1 John chapter 4. We've been studying that in a Zoom call. How can you love God? Say you love God when you hate your brothers <laughs> and sisters. You, know? you can't do that. It's always a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. And righteousness is putting those things to right. That's why um, the vulnerable and the weak and the marginalized and the people outside of the power structure, that's why you know, they're able to bring about righteousness, period, for them. Psalm 99 talks about how the king, the Messiah, will do this. It says this in Psalm 99, the king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. And that is describing Jesus. That is describing Jesus himself. He's the Messiah that will do it. So when Jesus starts his first formal teaching in the book of Matthew, he starts it and says, when you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you're blessed and you're going to be satisfied. So the question is, how does he bring it about? That's our third point, the way of righteousness. It's simply not having the right answers for Jesus. It's simply not just telling other people what, what's right and wrong. We've got a lot of that going on these days, and we think that's going to solve society. This is wrong. This is right. You better follow the rules. It's not the way it works. It's not the way God did it. You can't have a righteous goal and get there by a totally wrong-headed way. There are a lot of people who think that's how we have to work today. Knock the heads now, and we'll get to where we need to be. And they justify the means that they're using to get to a, quote, righteous end. God does not work that way ever. Jesus works as God worked for Israel in the Exodus. God is the God of that Exodus. God is the one who takes notice of people who are stuck on the sidelines. Who, he takes notice of the problems of people and he makes them his own. 
Do you get that? God looks and he sees the problems human beings have and he makes them his own problem and does something about it. And Jesus is saying that right here. He sees the problems of the people before him. They're broken and hurting and hungering and thirsting and crying out and struggling with all the things that are going on in their lives. They're harassed and they're weak and they're treated poorly by the political powers that be. And Jesus says, blessed are you. I'm taking your problems on me. They're mine now. That's why you're blessed. And Jesus starts to do righteousness and justice for them. We do not have a God who looks down at this world, sees the problem and says, okay, here, here, just follow my advice. Here's my prescription to try to get things straight. We have a God who sees the problems in this world and gets involved right in the middle of history, takes them on himself, bears the burden himself, and carries it to its final end and solves it. That is a God of salvation. That is a God of righteousness. That is the God of justice. That is the God of loving kindness. How can you not love a God like that who says, your problems are mine. They're not yours anymore. They're mine. So Jesus comes to change the world the only way the world will actually change. He takes on the world's problems as his own. He's the righteous one. He's the just one. He's the one who steadfastly loves everyone. And yet, he takes our unrighteousness. He takes our injustices. He takes the hatred of the world. And he creates for us a right relationship with God because he suffers for it. The way of truly being righteous in this world is the way of suffering. And he suffers all the way to the point of giving up his whole life, the death on the cross. Where he cried out, I thirst. And I don't think it was just for a little water. He was hungering and thirsting for righteousness there when wrongness was all around him. He cried out in desperate need there to take on the world's problems. He was cursed there so that he would say to you, you are blessed. And he establishes a whole different way to have relationships. A whole different way for us to be able to move out and live the blessed life, just like him. I love how N.T. Wright puts it, what the blessed life really looks like. He says this, blessing is not primarily about God promises to do so- to someone. It's primarily about what God is going to do through someone. So when God looks out at, and when Jesus looked out that crowd and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. He's saying, guess what? You're the ones God will use to bring about his kingdom in this world. The ones who feel like they have nothing, that they're spiritually bankrupt, that they're empty, that there's just nothing for them. This is how God works in this world. He's going to use you. The people who are nothing to do everything. Those who feel like just meek, that is, I don't have any power, and yet he's going to do. God doesn't send the tanks in and the armies in to, to, uh, to solve problems. 
He sends the meek in who start establishing things like hospitals and orphanages and care centers and serves before anybody, because they're not focused on themselves, they're just focused on the needs of others. And then all of a sudden, before any of the powers that be in this world, problems get solved because nobody cares about taking credit among the meek. They just do it because it's the right thing to do. This N.T. Wright says it this way, Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for justice because they, unlike the time-serving lawyers who bully witnesses for their own professional kudos, will be a sign of hope in a crooked world. We just start doing justice for people. We just start trying to figure out living in a right relationship with them to try to help them out when they need it. So if you're hungry today, thirsting, You'd like to see the world a different place than it is? It's a sign of your spiritual health, actually. You ever thought about that? People who are never hungry, physically, that's a sign of um, something going wrong. And you'll notice some people is like, oh my goodness, they're in the hospital because they have no appetite anymore and they're just dwindling away. There's something not quite right, but if you're thirsty, if you're hungry, there's something healthy happening. You are blessed. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said it this way, to hunger after righteousness is a sign of spiritual life. Nobody who is spiritually dead ever did this. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you're simply spiritually alive. Is that great? You are alive. So you're blessed. You are blessed. And God will bless this world through you just by doing the right thing for people in the right time, in the right way, for the right reason, just to God's glory, not for your own. And bringing about a little more righteousness in this world. You're blessed because you've got a Savior who has put you right with him and gives you the opportunity to have right relationships in a place like this, and in your neighborhoods and world. Isn't that great? So that's what we're saying today. Blessed are you, because you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And God, taking on your need for that, will satisfy you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, thank you. Uh, for the Jesus, thank you for these words that are so upside down and inside out from what way we think, Lord. We do have a blessed life. We do have an amazing life where we can do the right thing, that we can um, do right by other people and bring them uh, just a little more of your righteousness so that they can see who you are, that you are a God who is steadfastly loving. That is, you will not be fickle or change your mind, but you continue to, to work out your promises as you did to Israel, as you did through Jesus in our lives. You are faithful to us, Lord God. You are righteous. The fact that you bring us into a right relationship with you when we have been so wrong, and you do bring about justice, that you rescue us from our own weaknesses and struggles and problems, and you rescue us from ourselves and our slavery to sin and free us to serve and to give. We pray, Lord, that you would help us here at Thrive uh, to live that prophet, what the prophet Jeremiah talked about, where you delight in loving kindness 
that you, your steadfast love, your justice and righteousness become who we are and what we're about. We lift up now some people who are struggling, who would have been part of that crowd in front of you, Lord, those who would have been hungry and thirsty and broken and facing different illnesses and struggles in life. And we, we ask you do the right by them, that you show your righteousness through them to this world, your goodness and grace and loving kindness. So we lift up to you, Andrea Blankenship, right now, Lord God, as she will undergo a new round of different chemotherapy at this time, as, she, as we seek out clinical trials that she can participate in, Lord, we pray your healing direct presence in her life. Bless Jeff and Andrea at this time and us as a result. We lift up to you Bill Watson who will undergo surgery this week and have a biopsy done on this growth. And we pray, Lord God, that you would show your goodness and grace and mercy to him and to us this day. We lift up to you those who need your healing presence in our midst, Lord God. Um, also those who are broken in spirit and the COVID-19 has just been difficult in their lives, Lord God. We pray for healing for Pastor Zender who is still hospitalized with it. We pray, Lord, for the healthcare workers who are burdened by it and trying to figure things out that way. We pray for those who are facing economic difficulties now, Lord, and who are hungry and who are physically thirsty because the cupboards are bare right now, Lord God. We pray that they would see your goodness and that we would be about that as well in their lives. Thank you for the food drive we had again and that we can have the privilege of blessing others through things like that, Lord God. We lift up to you um, the start of the school year for Florida Gulf Coast University, for the students who are present here, the students online, for the professors, the instructors, we pray for your protection on us all. Give us wisdom in how we conduct ourselves in the weeks ahead and fill us with your joy that you are with us along this journey. We pray for our school system here who will start school in just a couple weeks that you would bless the teachers, keep them safe and the students as well, Lord, and give us wisdom and we pray for both our state and national government that you grant wisdom in the midst of this pandemic as, and in the midst of the cries for justice and the cries for peace and the cries, Lord, for righteousness, right relationships in our society. We pray that you bring your healing to bear, Lord Jesus, and your church uh, is the vanguard, the forefront, the arbinger of what can be in those relationships, Lord. We pray for all of this. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are with us. And hear us now as we pray together the prayer you taught us, a prayer that focuses on the kingdom and the righteousness that you would bring. So hear us as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In just a few minutes, we will begin uh, with uh, 
uh, Zoom call where those who are at home can join us who are here for communion. But uh, you've got about five minutes to get to that Zoom call for those who are at home. Um, do it sooner than later. Don't kind of, because sometimes it just depends on how long the last song here lasts before we start that. And I'm sorry, timing is, we're working on all that stuff. But uh, receive God's blessings today that you are blessed. Blessed are you. And how God spoke his blessing and his name on his people all the way back in the book of Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you peace. Go in his peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.